to the friends I've lost. This letter is to say goodbye. There comes a time in your life when you are offered a pact. I recently took mine. This is my last life on this earth. And I may be gone soon. Maybe a day, a year, a decade, a lifetime. Time goes by so fast. So I am here to bid you farewell and give you some happy thoughts as you resume your journey without me. When did we last see each other? You also forgot. I hear your voice calling from behind. And a few words later, we promised to get together and catch up. We promised the same last year, I say. And somehow these unkept promises do not hurt anymore. A hard shell has replaced the sensitive skin that once, in my twenties, got so sick. It is not the sturdiness of becoming old, as one white American friend suggests. It is the inevitable destiny of being a migrant. We are transplantados, that is, without roots, with no land to call our own, except the one given to us by writing, by loving a second life, becoming a second or third version of oneself. We cross frontiers and somehow get used to speaking another language. We learn to move in professional environments and learn to devoid ourselves of who we learned to be growing up. We learn the laws of respectability passed down by imperial hegemony. We learn a language, we learn a culture, we code switch. We get tired of looking down at the slightest microaggression of a humor one does not share. Against the stereotypes of Latina reality, we confront and fight and get called names. Another stereotype so angry this girl so passionate, this Latina. Don't worry, friend. I love you too, but in such a different way. Do you see not the difference, but difference itself in me? Can you love this difference? As she massages my side, Anna tells me she again failed to explain to her partner why she moves around the city calling everybody mi amor, and that those words are not exactly flirtatious. Why do you get intimate with strangers, the American husband asks her. As she starts with my sore muscles, she turns to me and says, Los Blancos will never understand. It is different in our countries. Ana means closeness. Closeness is different in our countries, as is friendship. And together, we try to count how many American friends we have, less than the fingers and toes. Closeness, friendship, attachment is also a language. It is a culture that migrants have to forego. We toughen up. We adopt the handshake, the distant wave. After a few years, we also stab in the back or draw a few more dollars with a smile and a grin on the eye. We also learn to drop a bomb with politeness. Yet we yearn for the language of intimacy, care, love that allows us to hug our friends even though we saw them last night Kiss strangers on the cheek. Let the femme call, it, call you corazón like your mother used to. It feels close, warm, caring, like life is worth living. What gives your life meaning, friend, in the face of destruction? Because there is an abyss between the meaning of friendship in the north of the earth than in the south. I lost another one of you, but I do not weep friend because you never gave me friendship in the first place. 
You gave me what your culture teaches you to do with people like me. We are a function. We are useful in part, discardable for the rest. And thus, disappearance becomes the mechanism through which we normalize violence in our lives. Until real violence replaces the images in faraway lands, it is mainly because one grew up in a country where people did disappear with the acquiescence of the legal systems, or maybe because one hears migrants searching desperately for another one who got lost. Life becomes a succession of friends I've lost. I let go all your love and your needs, your judgment, those little criticisms with which you inked my passage through lands and waters. For a while, you made the journey nicer, and in my quest for pleasure I enjoy, I am happy to have ephemerally shared this road with you. I now say goodbye because you became a bad friend, blind to my difference, and because I need to make space for the new friends that are coming. It's not that I don't cherish what we had together, but promises were said and were unilaterally forgotten. That is not the friendship I love. I remember you still. Do you remember me? You passed through my life like a thunderbolt, but now you are nothing but a shadow, a story I tell my new friends. You imprison your own. When you kill another, you kill yourself. When you depart, it is your heart you're breaking. What you do, friend, with me is what you inherit the world. Adieu with love. This is The Letter, a podcast hosted by yours truly, the writers Monica Ramon Rios and Carlos Lave. In this climate of war, where people afar are dying in the streets and in their homes because of imperialistic bombings, or here because of hunger, addiction, and despair, I have been asking myself about hope. Hope, hope, hope the precious currency of those who only possess what they need. When a human being has to be cold and concrete in order to survive, how can such an abstract thing as hope be even conceived? At the same time, how can we live now? If not with hope, what is hope? Is it just an idealistic, crazy, out-of-your-mind mechanism of self-defense amidst an environment with no rational, besides cruelty? I have always written about and from hope, because when I write, I am convincing myself that a different story can be told, that there are other ways to tell my story. A different perspective of reality is feasible when I'm writing and reading, and that becomes the evidence for the need to integrate as many voices as possible in this layer of experience, including the elusive voice that yearns to live out of joy because tomorrow things may be better, because there is no way to prove or disprove that soon reality will not be a matter of hidden intentions, but a present condition of well-being for all. This is one of the reasons why I was stunned by Nuestra Parte de Noche, the novel written by the Argentinian Mariana Enriquez, translated in English as Our Share of Night, when I found a 667-page narrative about how things small and big, are never the way they are shown. 
a risky move indeed to reintroduce Latin American literature and fiction in general as the discipline to understand no less than the deepest mechanisms of cruel human experience. The bet is paying off. The story about a dispossessed man whose only asset is the gift of his spiritual connection and his struggle to save a child from being used as him by a network of global wealthy families who owe their generational power to an always hungry and cruel deity is quite explicit in assessing that spiritually still exists. What astonishes me is not only that this book was allowed to be published as acclaimed literature. Is it not that it's not very well written, just like many other great Latin American works in the last years? But how come a long novel with high content of metaphysical speculation gets to be published everywhere with international awards and a lot of cultural attention? Specifically, why is Nuestra Parte de Noche not considered dangerous by the patriarchal capitalist colonial empire which installed and manages this reality of constant warfare where we live right now, in the United States, its center, and other parts of the so-called Western world? How come a novel about the non-material ways of evil suddenly becomes a darling of the literary establishment? An obvious answer that comes to mind is that this novel is not necessarily being pushed forward by hidden powers that oppose the current mainstream of death, warfare, and destruction. But what can we know besides the intuitive perception that spiritual combinations are not to be understood in logical movements of opposition, duality, antithesis, synthesis, but in more complex dynamics of synchronicity, diversity, and sameness, flux, reflux, and all the mysterious combinations that being out of the concept of time allow? Also, if, as Enriquez proposes in her novel, vast realms of incorporeal worlds do exist and are actively puppeteering this material reality where you and I are talking right now, what does a writer need to do to be a living successful agent of any of those bureaus? But what if this spiritualistic churn, an acknowledgement of inspiration, aletheia, revelation, the discovery of a deeper reality, breathes at the core of a long tradition of indigenous cosmogonies, poetry, storm and drang, European avant-garde and romantic movements, golden eras, sagas, epics, anti-systemic social utopias and dystopias, the Baroque and the Neo-Baroque, even the counted great novels of the Latin American boom, which I used to think as literature with a capital L. Yes, but there is something more. A pact, a deal, covenant. Because not every writer in Argentina, Chile, Mexico, Belize, or the United States suddenly becomes a, an international awarded author whose first novel imposes a wave of gothic new writers an author that right away also becomes an official of the cultural department in the government administration of their country. I am tempted to think about the agreements in the voodoo and hulu communities, also all across Latin America, Asia, and African deep country, between a deity and somebody who is in desperate need or whose ambition becomes somewhat beyond human. Think also about Mephisto and the classic pagan contract offered to every Faustic individual in return of what they realize finally 
is the most precious element of life, and that would be the love of Margaret in the work of Goethe. In Nuestra Parte de Noche, our task as readers is to decide if the main character is sacrificing his dignity, in other words, the control over his life, body, and happiness, or if he will sacrifice his child to the Mephistophelic world owners. In the case of a writer, and we can imagine many cases, what does an author can offer to a Mephisto, and in return of what? Power, artistic accomplishment, relevance, freedom, wealth, sustained happiness among their loved ones, a vibrant community, the salvation of this reality from cruelty, warfare, and destruction through written prophecy and revelation. Are all of these interchangeable? Which one of those would be the offering? Which one the reward? An important literary prize, perhaps? What would you ask for and what would you give? It is possible that the myriad of stories in Nuestra Parte de Noche are weaved to convince the reader that reality is much more than a middle-class neighborhood childhood, lowly adulthood, and old-age suffering. Also, it can be read as smart entertainment for people who know too well that we are puppets and there is nothing to do about it besides being the best puppets possible. But a puppet can always entangle the puppeteer until reducing it to a mere engine of life. I am tempted now to talk about the evident link between Nuestra Parte de Noche and El Oscuro Pájaro de la Noche, translated to English as The Obscene Bird of Night, one of the deepest testaments on the dark, very dark soul of that monstrosity project called La República de Chile, a novel that for the same reason, because its vast roots in the southern cone soil, have not been sufficiently read outside the southern Andes. Also, I am tempted to point out how Nuestra Parte de Noche explicitly borrows parts from the left hand of darkness, as well as the sexual divination descriptions from the foretelling ceremony driven by the Faxe the Weaver character. In that sense, Enriquez's bet is not cultural, since the literary genealogy she chooses to expose, José Donoso, Ursula K. Le Guin, Sora Neil Hurston, have no extended readership in Latin America and Europe, in stark contrast with the rampant pop references, Stranger Things, The Swing in London, Dali's poster surrealism, that are presented as a catchy distraction. For the moment, I prefer to wonder instead, why does Neo-Faustian literature need catchy distractions? Distractions from what? Maybe from the fact that this kind of literature gives you hope, because it might empower you if you find the right deity to serve. For the moment, also, I am more interested in covenants for acquiring enough drive to survive with hope amidst capitalist life at war with love, with all possible kinds of love. And this is not a matter of desperately amassing wealth to shield and blind oneself from pain, but to find the right alignment in somewhat a different world, a world that is frankly spiritual because it involves life, children, my body, sex, my body and your body violently liberated and floating, so incarnated that we can always be in other bodies' point of view, with a deeper sight and the eloquence of the mystics. Literature in this sense should not be called spiritual anymore, 
but simply a kind of book preferred by people for whom empathy is a practice, not just a discourse.